I think Bitcoin's always going to adapt with regulations. They can try to take down these things, but it's ultimately designed to be at least a starfish. And you can always cut the head off of a spider, but a starfish always grows a new limb. Forgetting the fundamental roots of what blockchain means is the biggest danger. You are listening to Bitcoin, blockchain, and the technologies of our future with Naomi Brockwell. I'm here in New Orleans with Colin Cantrell, who is the founder of Nexus. Thanks so much for chatting with me. Hey, thank you for having me. I want to talk about the dangers that cryptocurrency is going to be faced going forward into the future. We know that there's an upcoming battle with government. They're not just going to lie down and take it. Um, with all of this disruption happening, with control being taken away from central banks the way that it has been, we're going to see some serious friction coming up. So what type of things can we be expecting? Um, you're going to see more and more regulation, or at least attempted regulation, um, like the bit license happened. But ultimately, I mean, I see that it's going to push people away and they're going to go to different countries that are more favorable or more states that are more favorable. But regulation is going to be the first place. And I mean, eventually we could start seeing more and more. I mean, well, not eventually. We have been seeing um, the controlling of the narrative, the manipulating of public opinion. If you watch Bitcoin from the early days, they used to always compare it to bubble, mm -hmm. tulips, um, you guys and your crazy technology. Making well, they, they actually used to talk about the dark side. It was so opaque and it was just criminals that used it and money laundering and drug dealers. That was the prominent narrative, like, you know, back when the media first noticed it, probably around 2012, 2013, I'd say they first started talking about it. Yeah, that's when Cyprus bought because uh, that's when I came in on that first wave with Cyprus. Um, on it was the beginning of 2013, I think April. Yeah, that's when they started really hitting in and talking. And then that's the year that Silk Road got busted as well. And so yeah, that's that's the biggest thing, and I think that's going to be the most damaging, honestly, because a lot of people they they don't understand what technology means, and they're afraid of getting in trouble. They have families or they have lives, and the government uses that fear in order to manipulate them. And controlling the narrative is something that they're still trying to do. And I mean, now, in my opinion, they're controlling the narrative in the other direction by trying to control the narrative of the block size debate and then control the narrative of segregated witness and lightning network. The narrative, in my opinion, has kind of been changed into, okay, let's, let's make Bitcoin our new settlement layer. Let's, let's co-opt it. So the biggest danger is not stopping it, but taking it over. And then the question is, is it decentralized enough to sustain a takeover? And... From what I've seen, there's a complete division in the blockchain space. There's Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. There's Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. There's the idealists, and then there's the when moon, when Lambo people. And, you know, ultimately, like, forgetting the fundamental roots of what blockchain means is the biggest danger. And getting lost in the greed and the money. I also think that uh, people have a misconception about the vulnerabilities of Bitcoin. We say, well, what happens when Bitcoin is shut down? The immediate response is, well, it can't be shut down. But there are definitely ways that it could be slowed down and uh, hold it to a certain degree and censored. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we already see banks censoring Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> deposits in a Coinbase or anything trying to purchase Bitcoin. They've been slowing that down. But on the other sense, right, this is where we get a little philosophical. That's almost helped Bitcoin because that slowed down the flow of money into it, which kept the price more stable. So the question is, like, are they going to be able to stop it or are they just going to make it stronger? Right. You know, no matter what they do, I, I see that the cat's out of the bag. Mm -hmm. And people see what it's capable of now. So infrastructurally, they can try to slow down packets or financially, they can try to slow the flow of money into it. Or, you know, with regulations, they can try to take down these things. But it's ultimately designed to be at least a starfish right. rather than a spider, if you've ever read that mm -hmm. book. 
and you can always cut the head off of a spider, but a starfish always grows a new limb. Right. So I think Bitcoin's always going to adapt and cryptocurrency is going to adapt, whether it's Bitcoin that we call it or Litecoin or Monero or whatever. I mean, fundamentally, it, distributed ledger technology is going to change the entire world. And the question is, who's going to be on the top side of it? Currently, there are already ways that the government can censor Bitcoin. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so are we talking technologically or yeah. psychologically? <laughs> okay. Well, they're, yeah, they're both. <laughs> okay, well, um, the first one is controlling the narrative, which I said that's most powerful. The second one is controlling the flow of money in and out. Mm -hmm. Then the third one is infrastructurally. So they can actually get all of the different Bitcoin nodes and easily censor them from the ISP levels mm -hmm. and make packets maybe slowed to them, disrupt mining pools. Um, they can also find what a Bitcoin packet is. Since Bitcoin packets, the way Satoshi at least designed it, there's four leading bikes. So they were designed to be four bytes that are unique to Bitcoin because what it uses that is the place to find the start of a message so that you can then read it. Right. So an ISP, even encrypted, it's going to break Bitcoin if that's encrypted. You need to know where those are because it reads into a buffer. So those four bytes are always going to be an indicator. And then the last one is you can go to websites and you can see the map of every single Bitcoin node by accessing them. I can create a Bitcoin node and fire it up and then get the address seeds and then just run a probe on port 8333 and find out where every single Bitcoin node is. And that's what they've been doing to stop illegal downloading. They literally have people go on a Cedars, you know, let's say Warner or whatever other type of copyright, and they let peers connect to them, leechers. And as they download that movie from them, they log their IP address. And then they send that to the ISPs and they say, hey, you know, send these guys a cease and desist letter. And then they send them cease and desist letters. So, you know, the current infrastructure of the Internet, yes, your IP is assigned to you uniquely. And that's assigned to your location and that's owned or assigned to you by the ISP. So the ISPs really become that weak point when ISPs are able to be overturned by the government, which is the irony with the net neutrality. People said, government, please save us. Yeah, right. but what yeah. we want is more government control. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, I mean, net neutrality may or may not have done anything as far as we know. I mean, they could have already been doing that. There could be the government blacklist that already does the net neutrality. And it could just spend some public. I'm spook. sure there is. I mean, everything is already tracked. So why, if they're tracking it, why wouldn't they be putting in measures to try and stop this activity? Exactly. And I mean, there's the Great Firewall of China, which I've mentioned before, where they literally block packets going in and out. They go to certain IP addresses that are known with a blacklist. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that they can actually do that. And when we start going out and saying that these have the capabilities to topple these governments, mm -hmm. we need to really look at the game that we're playing. We need to really look at all of the other vulnerabilities that we may have. Now, Bitcoin's a proof of concept. It's that first step. But unless we look at all of the other steps instead of resting on that laurel, we're not going to make it successful. Mm -hmm. Do privacy coins help at all? Are they going to be getting around this ability to track IP addresses and all of that? Um, not yet. I mean, the reason I say this is the first point I said, controlling the narrative. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to thwart the narrative of Bitcoin's use for illegal transactions when they're somewhat transparent. When you have completely anonymous transactions, of course, it's going to be the people that fund terrorists or buy drugs or whatever, they're going to utilize them, and that gives them a bat to beat you with. Most of the people are still uncomfortable or they're scared, and they're scared of what they don't know. And so in order to educate people, you need to make it feel safe and something that's completely private. I don't think they understand the fundamental necessities of privacy yet. Why financial privacy is so important, and it doesn't mean you have something to hide. It just means that you respect the need for privacy. 
Well, yeah, and Edward Snowden said it very well. I mean, he said privacy is where you create. Privacy is where you have your time to build things, to discover things about yourself. And that's, that's a necessity of life because if everybody just went and practiced in a concert hall with an entire audience, it's not going to make a great performance by the time that comes around. So privacy is very necessary. And I believe financial privacy is very necessary. But when we're talking about disruptive technology, we want to give them the least amount of weapons to use against us as possible. And when you talk about privacy coins, people don't make that correlation that, oh, cash is the most private and anonymous drug deal used currency out there, gold or whatever else. They're, they're still going to listen to the news people or they're going to be thwarted. They're going to be scared. It's like a tiny fraction of uh, money laundering and, and drug use is used by cryptocurrency. Um, U.S. dollar is the, the biggest. biggest money launderer, Matt, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let alone the CIA is the one that started it. <laughs> you know, so I mean, we got this we got this conundrum of okay, well, you know, in certain respects, the world has leaders that I guess are the definition of a criminal in a lot of ways. So, you know, how do you how do you have honor amongst these or how do you how do you remove that power when they they control the public perception of that power? And that's that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest. So that's that's what gives them any power because the whole world just decided screw governments. There wouldn't be any governments. Now, circling back to privacy coins, ones that go out of their way to try and protect the anonymity of the users. So you would say that currently they're still vulnerable because IP addresses can be tracked. Uh, do you think that's going to change sometime in the future? Possibly. I mean, Should people be worried if they're using privacy coins? If that's going to flag them? I mean, personally. I, I stay away from privacy coins just because I believe that the industry is too immature to, to be able to handle them. I think. I mean, one thing you could do is just go to an IP address that you don't use, right? Yeah, I mean, or you could use Tor, you could use VPNs, and you can anonymize your IP addresses to a certain extent, which does help. So, I mean, there are ways to really do it, but then you always have the physical problem where, you know, if the FBI raids your house because they assume that you're doing something with privacy coins or you ever say privacy coin out there, they're going to assume that you're in a privacy coins and then it's easy to prove that. So, I mean, there's, there's only so much one can do. And the question is, to what level do we rebel? And then to what levels do we conform to the laws until that we can change them or until they, their power just separates a little bit more? Because I believe it's just still, the industry is still maturing the ideas out, but it hasn't been implemented that the narrative hasn't been changed enough and people still, I mean, witnessing the block size debate, it's still very easy for people to fall for false information. And that's something that I believe that they're going to continue to use, especially when they get government coins. You know, they're not, they're not going to outright ban them or any other cryptocurrencies because they're going to piss a lot of people off and do the negative effect. But what they're going to do is they're going to make people believe that they came up with the idea. And that's the most powerful form of manipulating is they make people believe that they came up with the idea to ban them by controlling the narrative, by thinking that they're bad. And that's what they did with 9-11 and the Patriot Act and, you know, all those other things. And that's, that's where the most insidious things come in. So, I mean, we get to the fundamental level is the psychological issue. We have the hardware, we have the technology. That's something for our sustainability of the future because the Internet's not going to continue to run on this centralized infrastructure and ISPs can continue to do more and more. You can do, but it's a game of cat and mouse and it's, it's always this ping pong back and forth. But then again, there's 5 billion people in the world that don't have access to the Internet right. as well. And there's people in Africa that trade cell phone minutes because they don't have a currency. So the necessity of the currency, along with the human evolution where people are aware enough to start to conceive what's happening to them and think for themselves, along with the maturation of the technology, I think those three things coming together are going to be when we get that perfect formula. Right now, you know, it's, it's about spreading that word and teaching people and building things. 
Now, hearing the way you talk, it would seem that you're a pessimist who thinks people should stay away from cryptocurrency. They're going to get caught uh, and it's you know dangerous and um, and people should be really, really careful. But I know that you're absolutely a hopeless an optimist, optimist yeah. and you believe in the future of cryptocurrency. So what needs to take place, um, especially in terms of people's mental shift for this to succeed? That's a good question. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's about thinking for yourself, finding your truth, finding, finding what you know. Now, I wouldn't say stay away from cryptocurrency. What I'd say is be smart about how you do cryptocurrency. Don't go get cryptocurrency and then go on the radio and say, I trade Bitcoin and I come find me if and you want to all the time and screw the man and screw the establishment and we're going to take them all out. I'm yeah. not going to pay my taxes. Yeah, Woo! yeah like that. <laughs> That's not the smart way to do it. I mean, now, the way you do it is you do it subtly and you do it, you, you show people through example of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a normal person. You know, I follow the law. I do what I need to do and I'm building new technology and then I'm building things that, that provide value to you. And also not being exclusive to one thing, like having no bias, right? Like governments are made of, made up of the bodies of people. Right? There's just poor, helpless government workers that are working in this horrible bureaucratic system. Right? I mean, everybody deserves to benefit from this technology. Now, governments aren't going to go away overnight. Ultimately, we'd like them to. But people can't self-govern. People can't self-regulate. People can't think for themselves. And that creates problems because then you get these constant reactionary mechanisms. And then they create the need because, yeah, one guy goes and kills a bunch of people and then everybody's scared of somebody killing them. And that's what fuels a lot of that power. So, I mean, ultimately... To really make this successful, it's it's following your truth, following what you know, and learning to think more and more for ourselves, mm -hmm. and educating ourselves, and not being afraid to question things, or question people, or question technology, cryptocurrency, or fiat, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, with no bias, because when you find your truth, and you find your way to govern yourself, then you become one more, mm -hmm. and then we get one more, and then we get one more, and then the more people that can do that, the less we're going to need governments, but right now, unfortunately, a lot of people do need governments because they can't self-regulate. And so I'll just quote Confucius, the gentleman governs people according to their needs, and as soon as they can govern themselves, he leaves. To quote one more, uh, Buck Minister Fuller, who says, you don't change the system by fighting the existing reality. You change the system by creating a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that's what we're doing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. For extra material and any links mentioned in this podcast, please visit naomibrockwell.com. If you'd like to watch the video version, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute or DTube. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future.